0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the
1: app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Laura McGoodwin, and today we're discussing a topic no one wants to ever talk about or experience, which is grief. Whether you've lost a loved one or you've had your own expectations change due to extreme circumstances like ending a marriage, caring for a child with special needs, or even losing the career you spent years building, grief, unfortunately, is a part of life. Author of Grief is Love, Marissa Renee Lee, is here to debunk the five stages of grief, and share her own story for learning how to live with grief because quote getting over it isn't an option and now this is the career contessa podcast hi everyone it's Aliyah. i just wanted to hop on quickly and say thanks so much for listening and supporting the career contessa podcast we've just had our highest listening month and we quite literally couldn't have done it without you so thank you so much If you would like to continue supporting us, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps boost our show. Plus, sometimes we get episode ideas from the review. So if you want us to cover a certain career topic, let us know in there too. And we really want to keep making this show free for everyone with no paywalls. So please consider checking out all of our amazing sponsors. Every week we link them in the show notes and they're always providing so many great offers for our listeners. So I highly recommend checking that out. Okay, that's it. Thanks again, and we really appreciate all of you. Hi, Marissa. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I have so many questions I want to ask, but I think a natural place to start is by having you share your relationship with grief and some brief background on how you came to start Supportal and publish your book, Grief is Love, which I recognize this is a really big first question, but <laughs> I want to
0: give the listeners some background for sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's it's generally a good place to start. So I, I wrote Grief is Love based on my experiences losing my mom in 2008 and then losing a much wanted pregnancy in 2019. When I was 13, my mom got sick one day and she never got better and it took years to figure out what was going on. It turned out she had multiple sclerosis. So she was sick and disabled for, you know, my teenage years and I kind of thought that, you know, our family making it through that challenge, which was really fucking hard in retrospect, was enough. And then I was graduating from college and it was literally the week before graduation. My mom had been really sick for a couple months. They couldn't figure out if it was something with the MS or something else. And she just kept in and out of the hospital, going to the doctors. And finally, they figured out that she actually had stage four breast cancer on top of the MS. And so I took a year off after I graduated and just spent first year post college helping my parents figure out how to navigate this very complicated health diagnosis and how to make sure that my mom was getting the best possible care on all fronts and it was hard and exhausting and i knew from the minute she was diagnosed that she was going to die and so i did i did everything i could to prepare myself for her death to prepare my family you know i had all the hard conversations i had a spreadsheet with her various wishes and the funeral songs and what she wanted done with different pieces of jewelry. And then when it actually happened, I was totally unprepared. Because what I realized very quickly is that you can prepare for the logistics around death. And I actually do encourage people to do that and to think about, you know, what they might want and how to support other people figuring out what they want for themselves as well but you can't actually prepare yourself for the impact of the loss of someone you love. You know, when my mom died, I was a different person. You know, I was no longer the same person I was with her walking through the world. You know, now I'm a woman who doesn't have a mom who's physically here. And navigating that at barely 25 years old, you know, kind of just getting started in life and in career, was really, really hard. And I was convinced that, you know, I was meant to move on and get over it. And there were these five stages of grief and I had read the books and, you know, done all the things and I still felt like shit. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And then probably about six months after she died, I wrote in a journal that there was actually nothing wrong with me. I think where the problem sits is how we think about grief and loss and I decided at that point in August of 2008 that I would write a book about grief that wouldn't just be sad and depressing, and that would be a New York Times bestseller. And so far, we've hit two of the three milestones. So if you're listening, buy the book so I can hit my <laughs> third milestone, yes. please. So I made that decision back in 08 and then was very fortunate. I got a job in D.C. working for former President Obama. You know, I met a guy, we got a dog, we got married, and... I knew before, before I actually met my husband, Matt, that I have a health condition that is likely caused by the stress and trauma that I experienced around the time that my mom was sick and dying. And my condition makes natural pregnancy pretty much impossible. Like we would joke, if we were to spontaneously get pregnant, it would be like the second coming of Christ. And so we started in 2016 on the path to becoming parents, doing research and engaging in egg donor IVF. And after three years and lots of money and work and doctor's appointments, we were briefly pregnant until we weren't. And that day in, once again, August of 2019, when I had to go through you know the physical experience of losing a pregnancy. I realized the only thing I wanted in the world was my mom. So like these ideas about getting over it and moving on, you know, by the time we had our pregnancy loss, my mom had been dead for 11 years and I had built a pretty good life for myself, you know, wonderful husband and family and friends and great career and everything else and I realized Now was the time to write this book as I tried to find my way through all of this grief that I was experiencing, you know, the grief of the pregnancy loss, the grief of all the hopes that we had for our path to parenthood, like the grief of not having my mom there to comfort us, et cetera. And that's when Grief is Love was born. Uh, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote an article, Mother's Day 2020, that you don't get over it. You know, I was like, my mom has been dead for 12 years I'm not over it and I'll never get over it. And I don't really care what anybody else thinks. And that yeah. piece went viral and that piece became the foundation for Grief is Love.
1: Wow. I think too, people think of grief as only you have to lose a person physically. No. Like, you, you yeah. know, there's a lot of grief you were talking about, like part of the grief, especially when you lost your pregnancy was related to the expectations. You know, like you start building this world
0: Yes. A hundred percent. In that case, cause like, you know, and I say this as a pragmatic pro-choice woman, like it was a very early pregnancy. Like I was not grieving for a human being. I was grieving for the human being that I hoped to bring into the world. And for, you know, also all of the time and energy and effort and money that we poured into the process and the ways that I manipulated my body to try and get it to sustain a pregnancy. Like there was just, there was so much grief and that is how grief is love came to Mm -hmm. exist.
1: What about, so you talked about, and I'm sure many people listening, including myself, have heard about these stages of grief and you totally debunked that in the book, which I, I, I think one of the struggles I have just off the bat of like the, the phrasing of that is it makes it sound like it's a step-by-step process. And to yeah. your point, once you complete whatever the last stage is, like you're done. I want to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Sabio. If you're considering a career in tech, I highly recommend checking out Sabio, a coding bootcamp and developer community that's been training successful software engineers since 2013. So many of their students say Sabio changed their lives when they decided to pursue a new career in coding. Plus, Sabio is female-owned and operated, and they really support bringing more women into the industry. Sabio does more than just teaching you to code. Their bootcamp helps you gain real-life experience, and finding a job is built into the program. What makes Sabio stand out is that after you graduate, Sabio will help you establish a career in tech. That means you're going to graduate with more than just knowledge. You're going to graduate with confidence to start a real high-paying career in tech. That's because Sabio's team works cohesively to equip you with both soft and hard skills that will help you get what you deserve. Sabio alumni are working at some of the most interesting companies around, like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Activision, and more. The bootcamp is taught remotely, so you can learn from anywhere. Plus, Sabio is extremely affordable. They even offer a women in tech scholarship with $5,500 off the total cost of tuition. Someone from their admissions team will walk you through how you can qualify for it. Sabio has set up so many women for success in tech and they can change your life too. Visit our special URL, which is sabio.la/contessa to learn how you can qualify for a $5500 women in tech scholarship. One more time, that's sabio, S-A-B-I-O dot L-A slash Contessa, C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A. Don't wait. Go to sabio.la slash Contessa today to learn more. All right, now let's get back to the show. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy. And I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show, I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most
0: fascinating and famous bases in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday.
1: So, you're good. You, yeah. yeah, yeah, can we talk <laughs> a little bit about that and what healing really looks
0: like? Yeah. So the whole framing around the five stages. So first of all, I think the most important thing to know, and I try and say this in every single interview because I want everyone to know it. The five stages of grief were not originally written for you or for me. They were written for people who are actively dying themselves. So people who are faced with the end of their life because of whatever kind of, you know, unfortunate illness they're experiencing like they go through a very active and involved grieving process that is much more sequential, you know? Cause like you hear stages and for me, I thought about it as like the 12 steps in AA.
1: And now that I'm a
0: parent of a small child, I think about, you know, all the developmental milestones that we're always looking for and how they move in a very clear sequential order. Right. And like, that's not, that's not how grief works. Like those, those stages were not written for us. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the researcher who came up with the stages, she makes clear that like they weren't written for us. And even if they were, you should never think about grief as something that moves in a perfect sequential order. I think what healing actually looks like and the research that my book is based on is something called the Continuing Bonds Theory, which states that one of the healthiest ways to live with loss and move through the worst of grief is to find a way to continue your relationship with the deceased. You know, whatever that looks like for you. You know, in in our house, it's everything from my mom's birthday and death day are 10 days apart in February. I never work on either of those days. Like this coming February, it'll be 15 years since my mom died. And like work can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. And my mom had a massive sweet tooth. I have a pretty sizable one. My husband has an enormous one and I'm pretty sure this kid we're raising will also have one as well. So I always bake around my mom's birthday. I had a couple years straight where all I wanted to do was perfect my recipe for homemade yellow cake with chocolate buttercream icing. We think we may have perfected it. So I don't know what I'm going to bake next February, but like I will be baking something and eating my feelings and not feeling bad about it. That's the most important piece. I think, you know, giving yourself permission to grieve, which I talk about a lot in grief is love is all about letting go of any guilt or shame or judgment that you might feel because of how you're feeling or because of whatever you need to access as a result of how you're feeling. You know, we're all very good at beating ourselves up for just being human. And I don't want us to do that anymore. It's not productive. It doesn't help.
1: Yeah. I mean, your book is obviously a lesson also in just like self-compassion, which we I don't think we can ever have enough lessons in that, right? Yes.
0: Yes. And I don't know about you, but like something that I struggle with all the time, like not very good at, but I am committed to it. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the transformation that we undergo after loss and how how we do move forward? And I, and I say that and I feel like I'm saying it kind of too easily, like move forward. But I mean, yeah. like yeah. at some point, for example, in my life, I had a thing in my life happen and then I was grieving it. And it wasn't the person didn't die, but it was like that what I thought life was going to be like changed. Right. And so what's hard is you realize everyone else's life is still going on, but yours yeah. has stopped in this weird way. Right. And it feels weird, but you're like, I have to go back to work at some point. Like I have, yeah. I have to make money. Like I have to support myself. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no thing in the world that goes, Oh, you're grieving because of whatever X, Y, Z in your life. And while it's the biggest, and most important thing to you, it's like, but all this other stuff is just still going on like day to day. And I think a lot about this too, with like, the mass shootings that happen about how oh, like God. these parents drop their kids off and like they're they're going about their day like the market There's and this yeah, yeah exactly but like so can we talk about this transformation that you undergo and and how do you because you have to I guess in some way go back to like life. functioning yeah. yeah life exactly
0: yeah. so I think I think the key thing and this is something that I thought about a lot in the early days when I wasn't beating myself up is you are still here. And the fact that you are still here means that you have to find a way to keep going. That doesn't mean that you should, if you can avoid it, be back at work You know, two days after you lose your father. Like that, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to commit to finding a way to continue to take steps forward, even if they are tentative, tiny steps. Like, you know, maybe yesterday you didn't brush your teeth and today you do. You know, like that's the level of steps that I'm talking about. Or maybe, you know, last week you thought there was no way that you would have the energy to search for a therapist. But this week you decide... You're going to reach out to a friend and ask them to help you figure that out. You know what I mean? Like it's like it is. It is a commitment to continuing to access whatever it is you need to be okay, and to just continuing to be here. Mm -hmm. Like you know, like it's it's really hard, and it takes it takes time. You know, there were definitely times when I was like, "But I don't want to be here. Like this is this life sucks without my mom." But I think that you like it is it is a deep inner piece to all of this work. And I think you really have to commit to taking to taking those steps, no matter how small, no matter how tentative. Because eventually you don't get over it, but you do arrive at a place where you have figured out what it means for you to live with it. And there'll still be times when you're absolutely devastated and when like the grief just knocks the wind out of you. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's more its more of a livable experience over time.
1: And speaking of like the types of grief, I mean, obviously we, when most people think of grief, I think they do think of a person dying, right? But yeah. there's, I mean, I'm thinking about the person who also ends a marriage and has to like oh, yeah. function through work, right? Oh, yeah. So what are what yeah. are some of the other common types of grief? Because maybe people are listening to this and they're like, well, I haven't, you know, no one died in my life. So I guess this doesn't apply to me, but it's
0: like, Honestly, it absolutely can. <laughs> I think anytime your future hopes and expectations that you were like deeply counting on, like not me being like, Oh, I still have a little baby, but I really hope to go on vacation with just my husband to the beach. You know and I mean, like yeah. I'm not talking, like as much as I take those hopes very seriously, <laughs> yeah. those are not the kinds of hopes I'm talking about. I'm talking about like your health, your marriage, your career, you know, your living situation, like like things that fundamentally change your life and who you are. When those things change, I think you should get comfortable with having some amount of grief. So like, you know, if you suddenly find yourself diagnosed with cancer or, you know, if you, heaven forbid, like lose a limb or have some other, you know, very serious life-altering injury or health situation. You know, my mom, I think about the grief she experienced when she went from a healthy 37-year-old to someone who had multiple sclerosis like overnight. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't even imagine that grief, but like there's grief in that. My husband has been married before. Like we've talked about, the grief that comes with divorce, even when you know it was the right decision, it still it alters what you expected your life to be like. And so, you know, even the grief of infertility. Like we yeah. grow up thinking you get to decide when you want to have kids, how you want to have them, when you want to have you know all these things, and then all of a sudden you're faced with the, these complex decisions that need to be made and a personal health situation that needs to be managed as well, which we don't often talk about. And so I want people to, when you think about grief, you know what? I think this is how I'm going to explain it. When you think about the, the emotion of grief, if you haven't yet lost someone you love, think about how you felt in the middle of March in 2020, when suddenly everything that you had taken for granted about how you live your life and just operate in the world went away. Like think about the like disorientation, the confusion, how overwhelming it was, just feeling a little bit off kilter by the whole situation. Like that is grief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean,
0: that's kind
1: of what I remember those days?
0: (laughs) We were all like, Do we go to the store? Do we get takeout? Do we wash the takeout before we bring it in the house? Like what's safe? What isn't? Like Yeah. No, it was we were just
1: I was just at a Fourth of July thing and we were talking about that and I was like that was like such a unique period of time of like what, and like the beaches were closed which was like this eerie thing and I live in Los Angeles where like the freeways are always packed and there was no one on the freeways it's so weird to think back to that crazy I want to talk a little bit about not overcoming grief but figuring out how to live and work with grief so you talked about you think one of the most important things is keeping you know who, the person who is passed like still in your life and celebrating them or talking about them, what are some other things? And I'm also thinking about people who are maybe managers and your employee comes to you and says like, mm. my mom was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Like what are some tips and advice you can give for, 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 I obviously this is a work podcast. So I think a lot about how you can't separate life and work, especially when no it's chance. something like that. And so like, how do you bring that to the workplace. And then on the flip side of that, how do employers respect this? Because it's, to your point, you can't just get over it. You can't just work through it.
0: I will say I was, I was incredibly fortunate professionally when my mom was dying and after she died. I worked on Wall Street during the height of the financial crisis. You know, it was, I was there 2006 to 2010. And the, Financial institution I was working for at the time was also dealing with a major state compliance investigation and, like, all sorts of issues that were not my fault, but did connect to some of my work because of the people who I was doing work with. And it was, I mean, it was crazy the level of professional intensity that I was dealing with at the same time as my mom was dying and right after she passed away. And so on my end, I was honest about it. So like anyone who is dealing with a dying parent, child, spouse, et cetera, like someone who's in a caretaker role, like I would just encourage you to tell the truth and be as honest as comfortably possible when it comes to your boundaries and your priorities. Like when I interviewed for this job as a 23 year old, I told the senior partner who would be, you know, kind of responsible for me, like, this is what's happening at home. Like, my mom is stable, but she's dying. And that's always going to be my number one priority. Like, I will do whatever I have to do to get this job done and I'll do an excellent job. But like, my mom is dying, period. And I think as a result of my candor, I was more supported. You know, like there was an expectation that, Some days I would be, and this was before remote work really, I would be like leaving the office early in order to catch a certain train to like go upstate to be with my family and like help my mom and dad. There was an expectation that sometimes I would leave at lunch and take a longer lunch because my mom was in the hospital, like in the city and I was going to see her, or like help her with something. And then at a certain point for me, I hit a wall where I realized, you know, my mom was no longer undergoing active treatment for, for cancer. So death was truly imminent. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I resigned. I told yeah. my boss's boss, I was like, listen, like, I can't do this. Like, I, like I can't work full time and give everything that you expect of me that I feel I should be responsible for and also do everything I can to help support my mom and dad and myself because we get ready to lose her. And they actually were like, no, like we will work this out. We will support you. You know, we can figure this out together. Like we don't want to lose you, but we understand that you can't be as full-time as you normally are. And like Mm -hmm. the fact that a couple of things were helpful that I think are really important for employers. One, people were regularly asking about my mom and like, you know, kind of checking in on the situation in a way that felt appropriate in the workplace and where they didn't make me feel like they were judging me, or actually trying to gauge whether or not I was getting my work done. You know what I mean? Like because you can, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, the totally. It's like let's be honest. Yes, we all know the mm-hmm. difference. So like having that practical, just open lines of communication and the check-ins were super helpful. The other thing was re- that was really helpful was just having practical logistical support when I needed it. You know, when I reached the point where I tried to resign and they said no. This was two thousand and seven they set me up to work from my parents' house and like from the train back and forth between my parents' house and the office so that I could still get enough of my work done so that I felt like I was a contributing member of my team and I could do it in the way that worked best for me. I think the other thing is, you know, my immediate supervisor, he just knew, and maybe because he was older, you know, I don't know. He knew I was not going to be 100% for a while. And he definitely gave me a pass on some work stuff when I needed it without me asking for it. You know, so like he was keeping sort of a watchful eye on things and, you know, trying to keep track of like how I might be feeling and what was going on and whatever. And he would just extend a deadline or actively do something himself instead of expecting me to do it if he knew I was also dealing with like, you know, post-death family logistics or whatever. So I think I think being practical with people who are going through it and either extending deadlines, taking work off their plates, checking in and keeping lines of communication open, giving plenty of time off, like you need time away from work to be really sad and overwhelmed. By what you're trying to process, and so that was huge. Caregiver for me too.
1: fatigue is a very real thing.
0: Oh my god, it's so real, it's mm-hmm. so real.
1: Do you so, recommend for people who are caretakers? Do you recommend joining support groups? I mean, is it one of those things where going through this alone is is the, is the worst part of
0: it, or yeah. mm-hmm. support is critical? And I think I think you should decide what works best for you in terms of that support? So for me, you know, I was 22, 23, 24, 25. You know, like I was like a really young person as a caregiver. And so I didn't want to go to support groups and talk to people who were twice, sometimes even three times my age. Like I was like, I don't want to talk to a bunch of like sad old people. Like that's not for me. But what I did do is I leaned on, my closest friends. And it was everything from, you know, like people, I sent an email. I don't know at what stage in her illness, but it was, it was, I think, I don't know exactly what it was, but at some point during my mom's illness, I sent an email to probably like 20-ish close friends who I would see often enough socially, who I felt like needed to know how serious the situation was and that I still wanted to be a social, fun, you know, 24-year-old. But I was going to flake, like I was going to have to change things last minute. I'm having a really hard time, both emotionally and practically, just caring for my mom and working full time. And I was also running a charity on the side. And so I told them the truth about like how I was doing, and I essentially asked for their support, and I also asked for a pass. You know, like I'm not going to be a great friend right now. Yes, that's just my life. And they gave me both. And I mean, you know, people did things from. If they knew that I was going to be up at my parents' house for three days and then I was going to come back to the city and have to go right into work the next day. And you know, if somebody else was picking up my dry cleaning, mm-hmm. like somebody was thinking about checking in to make sure that I remember to eat dinner some days. Somebody else was being on top of, oh, you know, Marissa's mom is in the hospital in the city this week. So, like, let's make sure we get food there for her dad. Like, I was overwhelmed with practical support but it came from people who had zero experience with what I was dealing with because we were all kids. Yeah. So I think when it comes to support, please, please ask for it, access it, whether it's paid or free and do it in a way that feels right for you.
1: Yeah. I think one takeaway for me uh, listening to all this also is like share it. You know, being upfront with your boss led to better results. Yes, I'm sure. And I think it's always awkward to share anything overly personal sometimes with people, but especially like the thing you're the most like you're scared, right? It's the thing you're the most scared about. Yeah. And the most emotional about. And so, but one of my takeaways from this conversation is like. Sounds like because you were sharing it, you were getting more support, which in turn oh, yeah. has helps you in other ways. So in terms of how do we live and work through and with grief, it's like, you know, you, you can't operate in a vacuum. No. You know, so yeah. you're 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 literally teaching us how to grieve better, and <laughs> also just debunking <laughs> the fact that those stages are not meant for oh us. My oh so.
0: my god! And the, like this is why I'm always happy to like do interviews and talk about grief because I want to normalize grief as just a part of life that we should all be prepared to handle personally, and we should all be prepared to support others through it. Yeah.
1: Because at
0: some point. You or someone you love is going to be grieving. Like truly, it's going to happen multiple times throughout your. Yeah, life. there's
1: no quota. It's not like no, oh, it, I you wish know, there was a you, quota. You got to like, check this box because that happened to you. Yeah.
0: No, no. I thought there was a quota until I lost my pregnancy, and I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah.
1: Right. I know I know. one of the things that I remember thinking a lot when I was going through something was bad things happen to good people. You know, like there isn't, yes. it's not like yes. you can recycle your whole life and because you did no. that, you built up enough karma and nothing bad happened. You know, like there is this no, realization no, that works. like there's no quota, bad things happen no. to good people. And yeah. everyone buy this book, Grief is Love, because <laughs> if it hasn't happened you know, I think it's also just a how way to, to support other people and as they're going through a process, and, and how, to your point, we can all normalize grief and be better about helping ourselves and other people work through grief because it's not exactly. always a person dying. It's, it's, to your point, your living situation can change the career yeah. you thought you were always going to have. So, you know, it's, it's all a very important lesson. Marissa, tell people where they can follow up with you, obviously, buy your book,
0: all the things. Yes. Yes. Please buy my book. And you can find me on social media, all channels. I'm Marissa Renee Lee. And you can also head to my website, marissarenelee.com and sign up for my infrequent but always useful newsletter.
1: We'll put links to all of that also in the show notes along with links to buy the book. It's called Grief is Love. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Of course. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Condessa podcast. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, we would love it if you could rate and review our show. If you want to learn more about Marissa Renee Lee and her book, Grief is Love, check out our show notes. Lastly, we've written a great article on bereavement leave that both employers and employees can benefit from. I've added that link to the show notes as well.